Cubicle Nate Noodlings, recorded on the 31st of December, 2019, the final day of the year. Not really the decade, although that's kind of the popular thing, but since we didn't start at zero, we started at one, really, 2020 is the last year of the decade, so we'll call it the year of transition to the new decade. This is my corner of the internet, where I talk a lot, and I realize that I am terrible at following my own notes. Squeezing one more podcast in before the end of the year so that when you are bored enough to click play on this, you can. So dug up and rinsed off just for you Christmas time activities to include light sequences to music with X lights, exploring media servers, restoring my Nexus 6P to working order, a bit of follow-up, my open SUSE corner, and my new segment, Computer History. Post-Christmas Day shopping has yielded some really nice finds, specifically something pretty fantastic from Lowe's that allows me to fix my AC light strands. It's by Holiday Living. It's a light tester. The directions could have been a little bit more clear. It's maybe worth a video. But I was able to recover three of my LED bush nets really quite easily. Since each of those light nets retail for about $10 each, this has made this purchase worth it already. The device is supposed to work with LEDs as well as incandescent lights, though I've only tested it on LEDs thus far, and it works quite well. This is something I wish I would have discovered long ago. I created a Christmas light sequence to music with X-Lights. It's a very comprehensive software, this X-Lights. It allows you to look at the waveforms, change playback speed, and make it you know easier to adjust the actions that occur just at the right time. I have only begun to scratch the surface of the power and capability of X-Lights, and I don't really know what I don't know on using the software. My setup is really quite simple and therefore I can't take full advantage of its capabilities. Some of my favorite effects to date are the butterfly, marquee, fireworks, life, and fan. They currently give me the visual excitement for which I'm looking to put to the sequences. There are many more effects to discover, but due to the limited nature of my display as it currently is, I can't do some of the more fancy items yet. I recorded two videos and posted them on YouTube. They are nothing terribly special, but I'm quite pleased with how it's turned out. Funny aside, I went to record a second sequence and there was a car parked in front of my house waiting to watch it. I decided to also employ an FM transmitter so that people can listen to the music in their vehicle, but I don't actually have a sign in front to inform them of that fact. Since I recently built a computer, which I get to release any information on that yet, I have been exploring media servers for it. There are three on my list. The first, Plex, it's the old boy on the block that's well known. I haven't used or tried it yet, but this is the one I hear the most about because it's a popular one. I tend to go for other things for reasons really quite unknown. Jellyfin is the second one on the list. This will be the next media server I try. I've noticed that they do have a Docker image, so I'm going to make this an opportunity to learn something about Docker you know, while I'm at it. The key feature of this server is it's completely open source, and that has a great appeal to me. MB, this is the media server for which I started this journey, and I'm currently testing it. I plan to test the others already, but I haven't engaged in other matters, you know, like Christmas lights. It has decent name recognition, but did go closed source after they gained some momentum. I have been using this for a few weeks, and I already like it very much. One feature in particular that I like is it works much like Netflix, as you would expect. If you activate notifications, you'll be notified of new releases when you put something in the repository of media, which I thought was kind of cute. Setting this up is pretty trivial, and I'll be doing a write-up on this as well at some point in the future. I want to do reviews of each of these media servers with my OpenSUSE Tumbleweed-based workstation server and see how it goes. 
Really, there's enough horsepower on this machine that I can have all three running at the same time and see how each of them play out, as it were. As a kind of Christmas gift to myself, I spent the fifth day of Christmas disassembling and installing a new battery onto my Nexus 6P. Now, why would you fix a four-year-old phone? Well, because I believe that technology should be run into the ground until it's no longer possible to use. So I shelved this project in August, but I didn't put it out of sight. Seeing it almost daily, I had it gnawing at me and until I finally got it done. I bought a battery replacement kit on eBay for this phone. It was like $9. And I had most of the tools I needed. And I had no interest in doing a teardown video on this, as there's plenty of those on YouTube. Although the repair of the device is rather annoying and tedious, you know, just difficult enough to scare off smarter people than me, the part that took me the longest was updating the phone and installing Lineage OS with everything working. There was only one issue, really. Working cell service kind of the primary reason to have a cellular mobile device. The problem ended up being there was a security lockout that prevented the SIM from being accessed and disabling it is what ended up fixing it. I have more on that installation of Lineage OS that you can click on in the show notes if you like. For my Biddle follow-up, as we wrapped up the year in Biddle challenges, our task for this last week was to make some predictions for the year 2020. They didn't have to be Linux-related, exactly, but since Linux and tech's the focus of the show, it only makes sense to keep it as such. What I'm wishing for 2020, this is my number one thing, is commercial-grade CAD CAM manufacturing technology software to come to Linux, not necessarily for home use, but for business. Specifically, what I'd like to see is Fusion 360 by Autodesk supported in some level on Linux. It already runs in Linux very nicely through Lutris, but having actual support from the company would just be absolutely fantastic. I would also like to see PTC's Creo running in Linux. Now, PTC once supported Linux with earlier offerings of their mechanical design package, but no longer do so today. It would just be so great to see them support Linux again, because that would allow me at work to use something other than Windows for my daily tasks. Now, the Biddle community has predictions for 2020. I've included a link in my show notes, and one of my favorites... There's a lot of really good ones, but one specifically that I want to highlight is from Sleep Events. He said Linux market share will hit 5%. I think we're at like one right now, something like that, at least according to Steam. And I think that's a realistic growth number. With Proton and such in Steam, it is going to allow us to have more gamers be able to switch to Linux to enjoy all the added benefits that they would get with it. So Rocco's predictions included a lot of nots, like Microsoft will not give us Office in any form. Adobe will not give us their products in Linux, and NVIDIA will not open source their drivers. So a lot of knots there. Eric Adams also has some really great predictions. Linux will see growth due to the Windows 7 end of life, Microsoft emphasizing the desktop. Tony will install no less than 26 distros, no matter how much he likes Pop! OS. Dreaming Wolf will realize he doesn't like Arch after all and become a full-time Linux Mint user. And Michael Tunnell will become an avid collector of rare and antique stools. There are a lot more really great predictions that you should read. So go ahead and go to the Biddle Discourse discourse.bigdaddylinux.com kick in your two or three cents and interact with the rest of the community in my open SUSE corner i'm going to talk about tumbleweed snapshots 2019 12 10 11 13 14 16 and 21 aside from bug fixes moving dependencies that are not needed 
Here are some of the highlights of the last six snapshots. Remina, the RDP client, is now at version 1.3.7, which included improvements to translations, better authentication, message panel, API, printer sharing improvements, and various bug fixes. Network manager updated to 1.8.25 plus 20. I don't know what that plus 20 means, but that's what it is. The applet scales icons for high DPI displays and some other things. Blues, the Bluetooth stack received a version update to 5.52. It fixed AVDTP sessions, disconnect timeout handling, disabled one more segfault patch, and fixed numerous issues. KD Plasma updated to version 5.17.4. Discover FWUPD will no longer whine when there's unsupported hardware. Improvements to KWayland integration and numerous other fixes and improvements. GNOME Desktop was updated to 3.34.2, which has undoubtedly further improved the experience for its users. GTK3 updated to 3.24.13 plus 0. GStreamer plugins updated to 1.16. Wireshark updated to 3.0.7, which addressed CVE 2019-19553. Akinati has been updated to 19.12.0. There weren't any features added, but improvements and bug fixes were implemented. WireGuard updated to version 0.0.2019-1219. That added support for NFT and prefer it. It fixed other various issues. Yes, updated to 4.2.47 to fix bugs and refinements on how it operates. PHP 7 updated to 7.4.0, where systemd restrictions for FPM were relaxed, and other various improvements. Tumbleweed Snapshot Reviewer gives 2019-12.10 a stable 99, 11 a stable 99, 13 a stable 91, 14 a moderate 90, 16 a stable 96, and 21 a stable 98. So great scores across the board. That means that OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is, you know, getting a 4.0. My newest and last segment is computer history. I've been very fascinated by computer history, and I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and how technology has developed since then. I've been able to live through it and witness it, but I don't really remember much of the 80s as I was a little bit young and other reasons. So I stumbled upon this thing called Computer Chronicles. I do kind of remember it, and it's been in the conversations before, but I've been binge-watching old Computer Chronicles. And this new segment, I'm going to try this out for a few episodes. In this new segment, since I'm a vintage and tech enthusiast, not an expert, I like looking back and seeing interesting parallels between the beginning of a home computer or microcomputer evolution compared to now. You know, what's changed, what's really the same. Now, Computer Chronicles, if you haven't heard of it, is a program that spanned for 20 seasons starting in 1983. And the original hosts, Stuart Chaffee and Gary Kildall's first episode focused on mainframes to minis to microcomputers. It was such a fascinating discussion. Stuart Chaffee asks Gary right off the bat if he thinks whether or not in 1983, we are at the end of the line of the evolution of computer hardware, or if there are major new phases of this evolutionary process. Gary responds with no, and saying that they're getting smaller, faster, and less expensive. He speculated that they'll get so small, you'll lose them, like your keys. Now, Gary has since passed, and I couldn't help but think if Gary was still alive today, how many times would he have lost his cell phone today? And would he think back on those words? I know I lost my cell phone in my house, the one I just fixed today, three times. They did a demonstration of the TX0, the first transistor-powered computer, and gave a demonstration that was really quite fascinating. The supercomputer from the 1960s, ELIAC, I believe, filled an entire room while they experimented with the idea of parallel processing. In the 1970s, computers miniaturized to something resembling a single server rack, half of a refrigerator in size, and were called minis. They are considered portable because they were on wheels. The late 70s into the 80s, microcomputers came into prominence, and although substantially cheaper than mainframes and minis, the micros still far more expensive than what we pay for today for a personal computer. I found this particular episode very interesting due to the excitement of how small computers are getting, 
but by today's standards, they're really quite big. The hunger for speed was just as apparent in 1983 as it is in today in 2019, almost 2020. The microcomputer they demonstrated here is the Hewlett Packard HP 150, which is an attempt at being user-friendly with a touchscreen interface. This touchscreen is nothing like the screens of today as it uses infrared transmitters to locate your finger on the screen. It is noteworthy that the demonstration of the machine by Cyril Yansuni, the general manager of the PC group at HP, who has stated that the most intuitive tool to interact with a computer is your finger. And that holds true today. Looking at how people interact with tablets and mobile devices. The interactions seem rather clunky by today's standards, but I think it's pretty cool to see the innovation of the time. It was also stated that he didn't think that this alone is the most ideal interface. He stated that he thinks that there'll be some combination of touch, keyboard, mouse, and even voice that'll be something more ideal. And I think he was correct on this. This machine, the HP 150, has a kind of goofy look about it, but at the same time, pretty cool as well. I'm really glad that it was demonstrated. The direction that was being discussed here was the future of computer technology. Herb Lechner stated that the future will be networking computers together through local area networks so data can be shared. Gary Kildall and Cyril speculated very excitedly that data communication will be over the phone system as the future of networking because local networks are too expensive and difficult to set up. Now, I really wonder what they would say today about this. Well, Herb was right. What I really learned from this particular episode is that one, our desire for smaller, faster, better computers hasn't changed. There was experimentation on form and function of computers with what the best of technology had to offer for the time, and there was lots of fragmentation, far more than anything that we have today. I also learned that most of the experts tend to be wrong about the future of technology, and that hasn't changed today either. 2020 is on the horizon, and to quote my favorite fictional character of all time, Doc Brown, the future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Make 2020 the best year you can. Be kind to one another, and should things not go as you planned, don't hold any resentment against yourself or those around you. Thank you for listening to yet another cobbled together mess of disjointed noodlings. Feedback is always welcome. Feel free to contact me. You aren't an expert at cubicalnate.com. I hope you tune in again for another noodling of nonsense sometime in the future. See yous!